This morning, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And if you've been with us for a while, you'll notice that this is a change. We have been preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been in the Olivet Discourse. And I had hoped to kind of continue on, but the passage, if I was to continue on, is the separation of the sheep and the goats and uh, the important doctrine of eternal judgment. And I just felt um, that's a very important subject and uh, wasn't absolutely sure that that would be the most helpful uh, Advent season theme. But we will come back to it and in January, I trust. And it's important for us to think about what the scriptures have to say about judgment Otherwise, we learn, lose rather, what is the significance and meaning of what it, just what it means to be saved and what it is that Christ saved us from. In the Gospel of Matthew, we've been learning so much about Jesus as the king. He is the promised king. He is the fulfillment of the, God's promises to Israel. He is the Messiah. And we have learned that truly the Son of God, eternal, came and walked among us and Though he was sinless, he was truly a man. But this morning, I want to look with you at the Gospel of John and look at the other aspect of who Christ is as the divine Son. This morning, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, but we're going to focus on the first five verses. But I felt it would just be helpful to read the first 18 verses so that we have the context. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Amen. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we meditate this morning on these words that are so 
amazing. Our Father in heaven, we pause after reading this astounding portion of your word to pray that even we who have heard these truths many times over, that this morning you would impress upon our hearts afresh the majesty and the glory and the divinity of your only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. There has been, as of late over the past year or so, a television advertisement campaign meant to introduce people to Jesus Christ. It's, it's entitled, He Gets Us. Jesus, He Gets Us seen it a few times, and I don't doubt the intent is to introduce secular men and women who maybe have never set foot in church, who maybe think of Jesus as unknowable. The idea, I suppose, at the basic level is to introduce men and women to Christ, to Jesus. But there's such an emphasis on starting with who we are, such an emphasis on we're so messed up that Somehow, rather than us changing, us repenting, us turning, the message is almost that Jesus somehow has come down and become just as ordinary as us. Now, it is true that when the Son of God, eternal, as we'll learn this morning, took on flesh, he became a man. When he was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, he became a true man. He was not kind of a man. He was not a form of a man. He was a true man. He had a mother. He was of a certain lineage. He walked. He talked. And in spite of the famous hymn, Silent Night, No, oh no, Way in the Manger, No Crying He Makes, I every year unfortunately have to burst the bubble of some and saying, I don't think that's accurate. I think Jesus, when he was a baby and he was born, I think those little lungs ripped and, and let everybody know that he was on the scene. And uh, when he was hungry and he wanted mama's milk, he let her know. And when he was a little boy and stumbled and maybe scraped his knees, I bet he had a tear in his eye. But he was a real man. But nonetheless, in our time and in our age, in our culture of hyper self-exaltation, hyper self-sensitivity, hyper self-improvement, self-obsession, everything is about self in our culture, improving ourselves, and so forth. Rather than us coming to the scriptures and learning what God has revealed concerning his son, there is the ever-present and ever-increasing temptation to bring Jesus down and to make him so like us that we lose sight of his majesty, of his glory, and of his divinity. We dare not do so. And this morning, we're helped by the Apostle John with statements in the opening of his gospel, which complements the other gospels concerning who Jesus is. 
in reminding us that this Jesus of Nazareth is the divine Son of God. So be careful, I will just say by way of application up front, be wary and be careful of efforts to make Jesus in our own image. God made him to be like us, but that does not mean that Jesus is messed up as we are. He was sinless, and that does not mean that when Jesus became a man, that he forfeited his divinity and his majesty. It is true, when you looked at Jesus, Nazareth, you didn't see on a day-to-day basis some, some display of glory. We know the, the three of the apostles, the disciples, would see that on the Mount of Transfiguration. Most days, you wouldn't even pick him out in a crowd. He'd just be an ordinary Jewish man. And yet, though he was truly a man, he never set aside his divinity. That can't be. One of the attributes of God and divinity is he does not change. In fact, he cannot change. So the mystery of the incarnation is the mystery of the eternal son of God adding to himself a true humanity, one person to natures. This morning, I want to look with you at the divinity, what John teaches concerning the divinity and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And while this may be basic and this may be review, all of us here this morning, no matter where we are, whether we are seasoned Christians or have yet to come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, make no mistake, John in these opening verses, these words which are ultimately given by the Holy Spirit, the opening lines of the Gospel of John are to call us to worship Jesus Christ. And we need to hear that call at this time in our culture, the call to worship Jesus Christ, one with the Father. I want to look with you at six truths we learn about Jesus Christ in the opening five verses here this morning. Six truths, at least, that we can take from what we are told here These lines are masterful. They are grand. They are glorious. They are deep to a degree that we will never fathom. And yet they are clear and they are plain enough that we can follow the words and the grammar given by the Spirit and we can glean truths that he wants us to know. First truth is that Jesus Christ is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. I pause. I need to, uh, again, uh, perhaps as a way of introduction, I apologize. I forgot this in my introduction. But I want you to notice that this whole section is talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. And then if there is any doubt, in verse 17... Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So John is writing about Jesus Christ. So number one, the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. Eternal. In the beginning was the Word. 
John does not say in the beginning the word came into being. Do you notice that? He doesn't say that. And I point that out because in verse 3, look at verse 3 with me. He says there that all things came into being through him. So all I'm pointing out is John has right at his disposal verbs, language, that he could have said in the beginning the word came into being. He doesn't use that terminology. In the beginning was the word. He just declares the pre-creation existence of the Son. It's a declaration about the, the being and the existence of the word. This word is one of two uh, concepts or, or words, images, that John uses in the opening verses here, both word and light, to refer to Jesus Christ. This, the word, that is Jesus Christ, was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the word. The word was there before creation came to be. We'll see in a moment how the word was the one by whom all things were created. But the declaration here is like what God revealed to Moses when he revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai when Moses asked, when I go back to what what should I say, what God sent me and God said, I am. And the declaration here is that the word is I am. There is not a time at which he was not. In the beginning, not came to be the word, not created was the word, in the beginning simply was the word. This is an amazing reality about God. There is at no point in all of time or outside of time that God is not there in the fullness of who he is. Let that blow your mind. God doesn't progress through time like we do. And in fact, God is the creator of time. He is not subject to time and to the clock like we are. And God is immense. And the doctrine of the immensity of God means that God is everywhere present, not only in space and time, but the immensity of God means that there is no time, no place, no square millimeter of created or uncreated order where God is not. He is I am. Go back 10,000 years, I am. Forward a million years, I am. Go back a billion years, I am. Forward a trillion years, I am. And the immensity of God is that God is who he is, all that he is, at all times, in all places. This is the immensity and the eternality of God. In and over and above time, God is. And the word is what God is with, the, with God eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. Now, of course, when we're talking here, John is, is introducing to the, the concept of, of this word, this eternal word down in verse 14, became flesh. He's not denying the incarnation. He's not denying that this Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born by Mary on a certain day, and, and that he lived as a man, and therefore as a man. Did Jesus have a birthday? 
It's not a trick question, yes. He had a birthday. I don't know if they celebrated birthdays like we do, but, but he was about 30 years old when he began his ministry pertaining to his humanity. But he is one person, two natures. He is the divine son. And in the beginning was the word. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. Contrary to the teaching of various cults, there is not a time ever an eternity past or future when the Son of God, the Word, is not. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ is distinct from the Father and yet one with him. Distinct from the Father, God the Father, and yet one with him. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. So this word was with God. There is a distinguishing there. There is God and the word and there is a withness between the word and God. The word is with God in eternity past, before the creation of the world. Before the creation of all things, when there was nothing, when there was no one created, and all things had not yet come into being, yet in the beginning, in eternity past, this word was in relationship to God. A distinguishing, a distinction, and the introduction here, a concept of the doctrine of the Trinity of one God, three persons. Here, the second person of the Trinity the Son, the Word. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a form of the Father. This is one of the ancient heresies that is still around today in oneness Pentecostal churches and so forth, that that there is one God and he is Father, and then maybe in time he, he changed and morphed into the Son, and then now he changes and morphs, as it were, into the Spirit. This ancient heresy denies the Trinity, that there are three persons in the Godhead, eternally coexisting. And here, John is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, very clear that the Word was with God. And unless you want to be blasphemous and somehow suggest that God is a split personality which we dare not do, we must recognize the clear teaching here that the word was there in the beginning, God was there in the beginning, and there is somehow in a mysterious way a relationship. There is a relationship between the word and God. And this is unfolding. This is is unfolding before our our eyes as we read. We're, We're taking this in. The word was there in the beginning. He is eternal. The word was with God. He is in relationship to God. But then thirdly this morning, we learn that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, one with the Father. He not only is with God, verse 1, but he is God. This is astounding. This is 
remarkable. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And again, the use of the word, the verb was, it's not saying as in past tense at one time he was. It's a declaration of existence. Again, that concept of I am. The word was God. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, one with the Father. He is divine. He is divine. The word is distinguishable from God in one phrase. And in the very next phrase, he is declared to be God. And here is the mystery of the Trinity. One God in perfect, eternal simplicity. And the word simplicity there is not demeaning. Often we use simple in a demeaning way. Someone's simple-minded. Simplicity is a theological, biblical doctrine, speaking of that God is not made up of parts. He's not pieces. One God, the, the mystery of the simplicity and the unity of God, and yet at the same and one time, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Obviously, teaching from the teaching of verse 1, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this case, the teaching specifically the Father and the Son, eternally coexisting in relationship and if the father is God and if the word is God and if there is only one God then Jesus Christ is not a lesser form of God somehow less worthy of worship of fear of reverence of adoration than the father John is essentially saying Jesus is Yahweh Jehovah who is the name of God in the Old Testament. This is shocking to any Jews who would read this. They they would have a hard time with this. They would call this blasphemous. But it is the declaration of Scripture. Jesus is the Son of God, is distinguishable from the Father, and yet one with the Father, which Jesus will teach plainly, In this gospel, what John is doing is introducing various themes that he will explore in greater fullness later. Jesus will be very clear with his disciples that he is one with the Father. He will teach, for example, in in the gospel of John I'm sorry, in John chapter 14, verse 28, for example, he said, you heard that I said, you go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father and the Father is greater than I. He will go on to say that I and the Father are one, that I am in the Father. And so Jesus is one with the Father. Verse, sorry, earlier in the verse 14, 
chapter 14, verse 7. If you'd known me, you would known my father. Also from now on, you know him and have seen him. Verse 9. He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The unity of the father and the son and yet the distinguishability of the father and the son. And so Jesus Christ is God and worthy of our reverence and worship. Fourthly, this morning, the word, if it isn't evident by now, back to the beginning of John, the word is a person. When John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he's not talking about a concept. Some might be tempted to look at Proverbs and see there that wisdom is personified. Wisdom speaks, and wisdom is a concept. Some argue that wisdom in Proverbs is is the pre-incarnate Christ, but but it's clear here in John 1 that this word is not a mere concept. The word is a person because in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, not it. Not it. Not it was in the beginning with God, not just the concept of word, not just the concept of wisdom, but this word is he. He was in the beginning with God. The word is a person. Eternally coexisting with the Father and the Spirit. It's amazing. John is just piling on one majestic truth on top of another. Fourthly, sorry, fifthly this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. As we come to Christmas and we think about Jesus and we think about his humbling himself and becoming a baby, living and dying for us, we need to remember that as we sing praises to him and worship him, we are worshiping the one who made all things, even us. Verse 3 is very clear. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being that could not be made more clear. Jesus is not a higher form of creation. He's not a created angel. He is not created at all. He is the creator. There is nothing in creation that has come into existence apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look at a few passages that in the New Testament, especially, that reinforce this. It's a very common theme, but we need to let it sink in this morning. Listen first, though, to an older Old Testament reference. I love this psalm. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. It may be that the Holy Spirit, that John here, is bringing forward this concept from Psalm 33 and using it here. Before it is by the word of the Lord that everything was made. And that's what we learn of here in John 1. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Let's look at three passages in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 8.
1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. And yes, these are basic truths of basic Christianity, but these are truths that are continually under assault, and you need to be equipped to answer when others ask you. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, there Paul says, For there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things were made. Very clear. By whom all things were made. The Father did not make Jesus, and then he made all things. All things were made by Jesus. Colossians 1.16. Another passage that clearly articulates Christ as the creator. Colossians 1.16. For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Do you think the Holy Spirit wants to be clear that Jesus made all things. And then, of course, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Hebrews 1, verse 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many various ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. When we have thoughts about Jesus, we need to remember that he is our maker. He is our creator. Jesus is the one who made all things, through whom all things were made, and for whom all things were made with the Father. He is the creator of all things. Finally, this morning in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Number six, the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of all spiritual life and light. I'm taking that quote from J.C. Ryle, who is a, a pastor in England that I deeply respect from the 1800s. And he has a commentary on the Gospel of John, and he said it so plainly, I thought I'm going to steal it. Jesus Christ is, quote, the source of all spiritual life and light. And I think he's accurately describing what John says there in verses 4 and 5. In him, that is the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He is, verse 4, as he is one with the Father, he is the eternal I am, he is God, he is, he is, is, if you will. (laughs) He, He cannot not be. I mean, rather, he cannot be. He cannot not be. <laughs> he is. He is eternal, existent one. And so you might think, well, yes, in that way he is life. Well, that would be fair, accurate observation. But I do think that the, the bent of verses 4 and 5, the intent, the leaning, 
is to impress upon us this simple truth. If you live apart from Jesus Christ, listen, if you didn't get anything else this morning, you're dead. You'll have no life. And you'll be in darkness, not only now, but for eternity. He is life and he is light. And there is no life and there is no light apart from him. In him was life. If you want life apart from Jesus Christ, not happening. Look all you want. Search every website you want. Look for every recipe. Look for every life hack. Try to find every faith, every teacher, every guru. Look for everything. Try to buy your way to another life. You will never, ever find it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no life outside of Christ. In vain we look. As we learned in Sunday school, Augustine, who is a famous church theologian in the early church and was a godless young man. He had a godly mother who prayed for him. His father was not a believer. And as a young man, Augustine just lived a life of, of seeking pleasure. He, he lived with a woman for 14 years together in cohabitation, apart from marriage. They had a son. He just, you wouldn't think that this great Christian theologian had that kind of a background. And, and he just, he searched and tried to please fill the aching of his heart. And he famously said, in effect, our hearts are not at rest until they find their rest in thee, O God. In him was light, life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is the source of all spiritual life and light. And yet, verse 5 There we see the light shines in the darkness. And darkness in the Gospel of John is virtually synonymous with evil. Of course, God made light, night, and day. doesn't mean that God made darkness, evil. Don't go there. But spiritually speaking, as you contrast light and darkness, you're contrasting holiness and depravity, goodness and evil, righteousness and wickedness and the light that is Christ shines in the darkness he still does he shines in his life and his teaching and who he is exposes the depravity and the darkness of this world and verse 5 the darkness did not comprehend it not because the darkness that is this evil world of men and women not because we are somehow not bright enough, not because we are dull in terms of brain cells, but this is a moral culpability, a willful unwillingness to acknowledge Christ. Jesus, rather John, will go on to say that those who are his own did not receive him they hate the light because the light exposes the deeds of men and women as being evil jesus is the source of all spiritual life and light we need to close uh this morning i know it's going to be a rather brief message 
but we've looked at together the divinity of Christ. But I think there's a very important and very, very timely pastoral practical application here. Jesus is God the Son. And in our present culture, again, which is obsessed with self and somehow wants to bring Jesus down so that he's merely our buddy, our pal, our psychotherapist who understands where we are and just identifies with us. That is not all that Christ is, and he certainly is not our psychotherapist. He is your God. Worship him. So, for example, and yes, I'm going to go there, this Christmas, yes, we will have a worship service. And yes, you're coming to worship God and Christ on Christmas is more important than whatever is going on in your life or your family. He's God. You're not. He doesn't move. We do. He doesn't worship us. We worship him. And so this Christmas, as I'm getting a little worked up, you see, uh, some of you are very aware of some churches in our area and our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're canceling their Christmas services. This is happening all over the nation. This is what we've come to. The church of today, the evangelical church, we are so obsessed with ourselves and with our desires and with our comfort, and we think that the gospel message is that God finally figured out it's all about us, that we don't even want to worship Christ on Christmas. There's something messed up with that. If you think that's unhealthy, it is. Alarm bells ought to be going off all over the place. When the professing church of Christ does not want to worship Christ on Christmas because Christmas falls on a Sunday. Houston, we have a problem. And so we are going to worship Jesus on Christmas um, at 10 o'clock. Hope you can be here and invite your friends. And if you have some Christian friends and their church isn't, invite them and pray. But in closing, that is not the main pastoral application I wanted to get at. It is this. Dear loved ones, in this world of self-exaltation, in this world in which we are tempted to, as it were, bring Jesus down, to so emphasize his, the truth of his humanity and of his incarnation, the wonder of that, that we start to divest Jesus in our hearts and in our minds of his majesty, of his glory, and of his divinity. He is the Word. He is the divine Son It is for us to worship him, to hear afresh the call, oh, come, let us adore him. And this is is hard in this culture to teach this, and I, I struggle sometimes to know how, but it means that you adjust. I mean, I really got to be basic. (laughs) It means that you adjust and I adjust for him. It means that my thoughts are about Jesus. It means that my thoughts about Jesus are high. That I also remember that he did humble himself. That he does understand. And this is one of the wonders of the gospel is that he is gracious and kind and tender. And he, he did truly identify with us. But not in such a way that he ever divested himself somehow of his divinity and his majesty. 
He is our Lord. He is our God. He is our King. And the church and the professing Christians, we need to remember and learn what it is to humble ourselves and worship in our day-to-day living and in our corporate gathering together. It's not about our comfort, first and foremost. It's not about our fitting in with our schedule. It's not about our routine. It's not about what works for us. He is our Lord and he is our God. He is the divine son. Oh, come, let us adore him and let us worship the Lord Jesus Christ, son of God and son of man, this Christmas season. Let's pray together. God, we want to ask your forgiveness, every one of us, for surely we have Every one of us sinned against you at some time and point, and perhaps more frequently, surely more frequently than we're aware, by trying to somehow remake you in our image, to make you more like us, to bring you down and to forget that you are God and we are not. Forgive us. And when it comes to your son, Oh, Father, we pray that you would help your church in these days to listen to your word, to hold high thoughts about your son, to kiss, and as it were, and to bless your son, to bow down and prostrate ourselves before him, to humble ourselves, and to lift up his great and mighty name. I pray for any who are here this morning who have yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that even today there might be some, perhaps here, young or old, who might confess their sin of unbelief and failure to worship Christ and you and would trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. May this Christmas season, we pray, O God, in the midst of all of our difficulties, may in our hearts we truly, may we truly adore your son. May we esteem him highly. May we grow in aligning our thoughts with the truth you've revealed in scripture. We ask it in his name. Amen. I'm going to close by singing.